Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. There is no shortage of activity in the WWE universe. You know the old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Change is the only constant. I'm sure there are plenty of cliches I am forgetting. All are apropos this week, KP. My constant, my co-host here on After the Bell. How you doing this morning, KP? I'm great, Gravy. Celebrated eight years of marriage last night with my wife. Ate some of the finest sushi I've ever had in my life. Some great live music. So high on life today, as I'm sure you are too, because Mr. Pittsburgh, man, tell us what's going on with the Steelers. Well, first things first, I don't want to gloss over what you just said. Congratulations to you and the missus. Eight years, a long time. Cheers. Uh, especially in this world in which we live, where we're on the road constantly. I'm on the road right now. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm in a an extremely luxurious hotel here in New York City, here in Manhattan. Only the finest digs here for cg <laughs> if you couldn't hear the sarcasm in my voice you haven't been listening long enough uh but yeah myself personally i had i had quite a wild week in my home city of pittsburgh i had the honor of leading the terrible towel twirl for our pittsburgh steelers uh unfortunately Wait, what is that beginning of the game it's more so in pittsburgh there's a legendary broadcaster by the name of myron cope he was the voice of the steelers and all, sort of all pittsburgh sports for many years uh, just an icon in the city. And years back, he developed this terrible towel, which is what you see if you ever watch a Steeler game, the yellow towel that everyone waves above their head. Uh, it's sort of a rally towel. And all the proceeds go to a great cause in Pittsburgh. It's sort of an institution beyond the Steelers. It's become a real Pittsburgh thing. But the Steelers kick off their home games with the terrible towel twirl. When you're in Akershire Stadium, you've got 60,000-plus all waving their towels above their head. Uh, I had the honor and privilege of being able to lead that this uh, this week nice. to really kick off the season. But more than that, I think more exciting personally was the reason I was on the field to begin with was I have the dubious distinction of being the narrator, the voice of this year's in-game intros for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So for every home game this season, when the clock hits zero, the first voice you hear is mine. Give a big here we go and the video packages and it's honestly, I want to say it's a dream come true, but it's actually almost more so. Uh, growing up, being born and raised in Pittsburgh, lifelong Steelers fan. Uh, it's so cool with WWE and the NFL been, have been working together. Uh, obviously, we got the new championship legacy titles. Uh, that relationship has been really cool. So to be able to experience that on my home turf, literally, uh, in in the, the city that I love and live in and, and feel so strongly about was absolutely incredible. When I ran out of the tunnel onto the field waving the towel, Carmella actually joked with me. She was on the on the sidelines with me, and she said, I've never seen you run like that. You ran <laughs> on your tiptoes. And I said, I'm surprised that my feet ever touched the ground at all. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've called WrestleManias. I've been to all the greatest sporting events, and it was truly surreal. The energy in that stadium was unbelievable. Uh, unfortunately, as I mentioned prior, uh, I was not able to provide the Steelers with any semblance of luck. It, it was pretty ugly after that. But the honor, nonetheless, uh, one of the greatest of my life, a, a true thrill, and I'm honored to be part of the Steelers family. Do you realize the role you're on right now? I am. I mean, from throwing the first pitch at the baseball game to catching a shark? Are you having a laugh? I've caught a shark. I have thrown out the first pitch <laughs> at the Pirates game. I led the terrible towel twirl. I'm sort of a voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I need to drop a puck at the Penguins game this year. And I'm pretty sure once I complete that holy trinity, I automatically become the mayor of Pittsburgh. 
Hundred percent. You've even been to a Pittsburgh Riverhounds game. I, exactly. I'm 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 a Yinzer true true blue through and through. Uh, I'm I'm riding this. I, I love it. It's like one of the coolest periods of time in my life, and uh, there, there's a lot to be excited about. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Outside of my role in WWE, but inside WWE KP, a lot to be excited about. So much went down this week. We've got a new NXT Women's Champion in Becky Lynch. Yes, we do. Congrats, Becky. Just said that out loud. You knew that. I'm sure you were hanging on every second, glaring at your television with glee in your eyes. Grand Slam, Becky. And that was pretty cool. That was, that was amazing. We've got the return of the irresistible force, Nia Jax, on Monday Night Raw. Uh, the announcement that the Royal Rumble's going down in St. Pete, Tropicana Field this year. Going to kick off 2024 in spectacular fashion. Always exciting to head back down to the St. Pete area, of course, which so kindly provided us the stadium and the ability to produce the infamous Thunderdome era of WWE. Uh, it's going to be where I went for my audition, got to meet you for a first time, meet Michael Cole for a first time. Hey, trust me, it's going to be a lot more fun when you get there and the WWE fans are actually in the stadium this time. I cannot wait. That's going to be cool. Big time. We're going to dive into the mailbag, KP. Chad Gable's joining the show. This is quite literally one of the most jam-packed episodes of ATV we've had in a long time. It certainly is. I've got a couple of questions for you. All right. Can I, can I start? Let me start off by asking you, what has attributed to all of the signs that I'm seeing? I'm watching Norfolk, Virginia, and the atmosphere was sensational to kick off Monday Night Raw. The pop that Jey Uso got. But I'm looking around the arena, and it's just sign after sign. And like... It's a lot of fun because our director, Marty Miller, I'm sure had a field day with it because Dom is coming out and there's all these Dom suck signs and everyone going after Dom. What do you think has contributed to the resurgence of the signs everywhere? It was like watching a flashback. I've been able to talk about this a lot when I was doing the promotional uh, appearances and all the media for payback uh, in like the Pittsburgh market and whatnot is how the WWE fans have truly embraced their role in the event now. Uh, we've talked about it numerous times. I throw it all the way back to Cardiff, Wales, and then uh, Puerto Rico for Backlash and WrestleMania in L.A. It seems to keep growing to where the fans, the WWE Universe, finally understand they're allowed to play because they're a part of the show. For a long time, this, this is not theater. It's not like going to Broadway. I enjoy going and sitting and watching a play or a musical, but you're not part of the show. When it comes to WWE, we invite you. We want you to let your feelings be known, good, bad, or indifferent, unless you're Dominic Mysterio, in which case maybe you don't want the fans to have that same particular right. But it's added an, a, a completely new element to all of our shows across the board, from Raw to SmackDown to NXT to the premium live events. And it's so exciting to me that the fans are now on board with all of their heart. It, it seems visually like a throwback to the Attitude Era, where you saw those signs in every city 
before every Monday Night Raw. And it's funny that it took place in Norfolk because Norfolk has a great deal of history in WWE. That's where uh, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, DX invaded WCW at the Norfolk Scope. Um, and sort of, Norfolk's always been sort of this holdover, even going back to the pre-WWE days, the, the, the territory history and, and Jim Crockett promotions and, and that that whole region was a hotbed for our business. So it's really cool that in this day and age, after all these years, all the history in that building still holds true. And I definitely think it adds to the vibe of everything that happens from 8 p.m. Eastern until 11 p.m. Eastern when you've got the fans that deeply invested. Yeah, big time. That wasn't even in the mailbag, KP. That was a hell of a question. Look at you. That was just an observation. <laughs> Watching Raw, I was astounded by the amount of signs. It just seemed to, they pick up each and every week. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Gravy, if I can, is Becky Lynch. We saw Tiffany Stratton on Monday Night Raw. That continued then into the championship match we all witnessed on NXT. Big time Bex walks away as champion, right? Becoming a Grand Slam champion. But I'm looking at Twitter. There's an awful lot of folks not too happy with Becky Lynch being NXT Women's Champion. They're saying, ah, big time Bex coming down to NXT and taking a championship. I don't know how I feel about this one. I I don't know if I agree with those fans. I think, if anything, does it not elevate NXT? Does it not elevate Tiffany Stratton? What are you thinking here? Well, consider your source, KP. Repeat the words that you just said out loud. I'm looking at the twits, Twitter. The twits over on the Twitter sphere. Yeah. It's X, by the way. Elon spent a great Sorry. deal of money to rebrand KP. <laughs> Let's not be the ones to blow that up. Listen, Twitter, everyone's entitled to their opinion. You can think what you want. That's okay. To me, knowing Becky Lynch was on NXT automatically made NXT appointment viewing. You know each and every week with our schedule, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes I don't get to watch Raw until Tuesday evening. Sometimes I'm watching NXT Wednesday morning before we sit down and record this podcast. But here in New York City, despite the long day I had at the TV studios, working on some really cool projects, by the way, I can't say anything, but they're going to be really, really cool. You'll see them one of these days sooner than later. Uh, I got back to the hotel room and, and my wife and I sat down on the bed and went, all right, NXT time. Watched the whole show. Becky Lynch tore it up with Tiffany Stratton. Tiffany held her own. But to all those people who are saying, oh, I don't like this. This is this is uh, any in any way, shape or form a negative for NXT or the brand. They're crazy and they don't quite understand how this business operates. Becky Lynch, beyond becoming making the show appointment viewing because of her star power which right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the case. There aren't as many people who every week watch NXT as watch Raw or Friday Night SmackDown. That's just the nature of the beast. The goal is to get there eventually. I believe that on a long enough timeline, we can get to that point. But you want new eyes on your product. So maybe you only watch Monday Night Raw, but Becky Lynch is my favorite, like you, KP. Becky Lynch is my favorite. I'm going to watch everything Becky does. Oh, she's going to NXT. I'm going to watch this. While you're watching, while you're waiting to see the man do her thing, you are now exposed to the rest of the NXT roster. When you see a Baron Corbin, you may go, oh man, I haven't seen him in a while. I didn't realize he was down here. Or maybe you get eyes on Carmelo Hayes for the first time. Or maybe you see Tiffany Stratton for the first time, aside from when she's in the front row. And you get to see what the NXT roster is capable of. You also now have a measuring stick internally. From a business perspective, the higher-ups, the officials in WWE can look and say, all right, we know what Becky can do. This woman won the main event of WrestleMania. How does Tiffany compare? No one expects Tiffany to be on that level yet, but can Tiffany hang? Is Tiffany capable of maybe a bigger opportunity, a bigger spotlight? If Tiffany isn't the woman 
who deserves that spotlight. And I'm, I'm not saying she doesn't. I'm just throwing that out there for sake of discussion and argument. Maybe the next person to step up to challenge Becky Lynch. Who will that be? Is it, is it Lyra Valkyria? Is it Roxanne Perez? Is it Cora Jade? Insert name here. Whoever steps up will now have the opportunity to prove their worth. And likely they will have more eyes from the WWE universe watching them try to prove themselves. And again, having Becky Lynch on the card should be exciting for everybody on the NXT roster. Because now you've got your platform and you've got an even bigger spotlight. You have got a bona fide mega WWE superstar, someone who's likely going to be a Hall of Famer in her career, on your show for some degree of regularity. It's, it's not unlike having John Cena back on Friday Night SmackDown. Maybe you don't watch SmackDown. Maybe you love John Cena, but you haven't been paying as close of attention because you kind of fell out of it. It happens, right? We produce so much content. It's tough for everyone to watch everything that we do. Oh, but hey, do you hear John Cena's going to be on Friday night? I'm going to watch. And you tune in for John Cena, and then maybe you see L.A. Knight. You go, oh, who's this guy? I, I don't know. When you hear Grayson Waller talking about giving the Grayson Waller rub, that's based in reality. That's what this business is. The rub is not something that Grayson Waller invented. That is an old adage in the sports entertainment slash pro wrestling business. When you were the top star in your territory and Ric Flair came to town, you became a bigger star because you were in the ring with Ric Flair. Even if you didn't beat him and you most likely weren't going to, but when Ric Flair would leave the territory, your top guy is now worth more than he was before Ric Flair came. It's the rising tide raises all ships. I think it's amazing. It's an opportunity for everyone in NXT to pay attention, to learn, to realize, to pick Becky's brain. I'd be willing to bet Seth will be around from time to time to support his wife, to have that brain in your orbit, to have the ability to pick the brain of a woman who's headlined WrestleMania, to someone who's been through NXT from the very ground up, Becky's an invaluable resource to all of those men and women in NXT, and I hope they all realize the opportunity that they have to truly improve their own games just by being around the men. Brilliant point. Love that perspective. You've been there. You, you've been a champion in NXT, and you know what that feeling would be like if, if a John Cena said, right, I'm back then when you were in NXT, if he said, sure. I'm, I'm coming down to NXT and I'm going to take on, you know, with someone else, Corey Graves and Neville, we're coming for you, you know? And, and I think it, it's a huge testament right now to the Seth Rollins, to the Becky Lynch's, to the, to the Cody Rose, who's out in every single small town that WWE visits, the American nightmare is showing up day in, day out. And with that, I think that energy percolates throughout the entire business. And it, it also speaks to the Say the, the B-level talent, if, if, if that's even fair to call him that. If Cody Rhodes is A-level, the B-level are going, well, if Cody's doing this, well, then I should do it. And it sets the culture and it sets the standard within. You know, it's, it's that kind of positive mindset that everyone would have going, well, Becky Lynch is going down to NXT. I want to crack at that at some point. Absolutely. It, it, it absolutely does. And I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I would be willing to bet more likely than not, you will see more quote-unquote main roster talents floating in and out of NXT. We've already seen it in the past a few times. We had Dolph Ziggler. AJ Styles was down there for a cup of coffee. Uh, Rollins had a, a banger down there. Uh, again, it, it only helps the business and the brand as a whole. So yes, I understand you may be a big Tiffany Stratton fan and you may be distraught that she lost and that's okay. You're not wrong. You're allowed to have your opinion. You're allowed to root and hope that Tiffany's the one that wins her championship back. Uh, either way, 
it does not mean anything bad for Tiffany Stratton or any of the women or men on the roster that the man is there. It should be exciting. It's like it's like Inter Miami picking up Lionel Messi, KP. How's that for an go. analogy? There I'm learning. Go. I'm on fire here today, KP. <laughs> I'm on fire. Gable's coming up around the bend. But before we get there, we sent out the message on social media, the request to fill the uh, mythical after the bell mailbag. You telling me there's not an actual mailbag? Not a physical mailbag. I'm trying to get one. I was at the studio yesterday. I was like, hey, can we clear out somebody's desk? I want a literal, like a miracle on 34th Street mailbag, like a like a sack of mail like that I can dump out (laughs) on a desk trying to prove a point to somebody. Dude, I was laughing my ass off yesterday. I'm in the garage with my kids and they're, they're playing and I'm trying to get a little workout in and I respond because I had a cool picture of me as a kid. You know, like we, one question on the mailbag asked, does KP have an NFL team? So I put the picture out there and I can hear gravy from the New York Hotel. It's <laughs> <laughs> for the show. Uh, I, I have polluted your mind. I have now become the devil on your shoulder. <laughs> Uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> hey, let's get into some of these questions for you, Gravy. Let's right, do it. Remember, hashtag AskATB, and we'll stick with NXT for now. It's a great question coming through here from at Triple Fraud saying, looking at the current NXT roster, who are a couple of names you have high hopes for? Oh, my goodness. This is a great question. Uh, it might actually be a little too long-winded to answer accurately and adequately, so I'm just going to give you off the top of my head. Who has my attention right now? Of course, Braun Breaker. I think Braun Breaker, when he makes the jump to Raw or SmackDown, is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, I I think he's ready to go. I think it's just sort of a matter of letting him become overprepared. And in a weird way, when you're being groomed by being overprepared, it sort of makes the chip on your shoulder a little bit bigger, makes you a little bit more intense. Uh, not that Braun needs any help in the intensity department, but I think big things are in store in the n- near future for Braun Breaker. Uh, I think Carmelo Hayes has a lot to offer. I think Trick Williams, of all people that I'm seeing right now, from a, a more complete package perspective, has a very, very high upside. Trick, for the longest time, was sort of Carmelo's sidekick, his running mate. But now that Trick's been able to sort of spread his wings a little bit on his own, He's got the size. Trick's a big dude. He runs, I think, 6'3", 6'4". Yeah. He's got the gift of gab. He's a stupid athlete. I think Trick Williams would surprise a lot of people because he hasn't been in the system for as long as you might expect to need to be there. But he has some independent experience pre-WWE. I think Trick Williams is going to be a major player in WWE. Yeah, and he's a sponge. He soaks it all in. He, he's yes. someone who's for, you know there for the future for sure. Ilya Dragunov has never ah, met a match, yes. you know. And, and and for me, he's he's top class. From Prince Dylan, what story on either Raw or SmackDown has you most intrigued right now? Oof. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't still say the Bloodline. Uh, it's on a bit of a I don't want to say a hiatus, but a a side story, so to speak, right now seems to be being told, playing out. And that in and of itself sort of has my attention. Uh, I'm really curious to see how this interaction between Jey Uso and the Judgment Day sort of works itself out. We saw the offer from the Judgment Day, but then on Friday Night SmackDown, it seemed like the Judgment Day were giving an offering to the bloodline, uh, you know, serving up AJ Styles at the end of the night. Uh, It feels very uncertain. It feels like it could go any number of ways right now. So I'm just taking a wait-and-see approach. 
Yeah, it seems like Jey Uso heading to the Judgment Day is very much in the balance on Monday Night Raw as well. Lots of backstages. I love that confrontation with Jey Uso and Drew McIntyre. That's getting set for next week on Monday Night Raw, which should be an absolute banger of a match. But think about all this, KP. How many how many different iterations we could see and what the repercussions could be if, in fact, the bloodline is falling apart. Somebody's got to step up to run things, so to speak. And right now, the logical replacement seems to be the judgment day. If the bloodline are just laying back, they're regrouping, they're recalibrating, and they're not ready to take their grip off of WWE yet, could we be headed for a bloodline versus judgment day? Where does Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits fit into all this? Because there's some dudes right there who are main event players. This is a very, very interesting time, and I think it's going to take a few weeks, if not a few months, to see how it all shakes out. But it's very, very intriguing to see who's truly running WWE, say, by Survivor Series. Roll on this Friday night. The return of John Cena as well on SmackDown, by the way. At King Lionheart 2, brilliant question. Remember, hashtag AskATB. What have been the most memorable moments you've been part of behind the desk during your commentary career at WWE? Can I take a guess at one? Please. Brock Lesnar. Turning the ring upside down, Nashville SummerSlam. That was a near-death experience, KP. That wasn't a memorable, (laughs) fun, WWE-esque experience. I was convinced that was it for me. It was curtains for Old Gravy in Nashville. Absolutely, that's got to be on the list. Uh, I will say off the top of my head, the shocking reunion several years back of The Shield. Uh, There was the Money in the Bank contract involved, and Braun Strowman was going to cash in, and all of a sudden you hear Sierra, Hotel, India, Lima, Declan. I forgot my phonetic uh, alphabet there, Delta. Um, That, to me, on a personal note, was so special because I was shocked. I had no idea it was happening. Uh, The Cody Rhodes, Seth freaking Rollins, Hell in a Cell match, so many great moments, but one will always top it to me. Because I very rarely become self-aware of what's happening. I like to get lost in the show. Was this when like, you were making out with Carmella live on Raw? Oh, I, I get to. I mean, no, that's always one of my favorite things. So much so that I do it every day. Uh, <laughs> not, not quite. I'm lying. But uh, no, when my very first WrestleMania was in Orlando, and I was ringside, and they did the flyover with the Blue Angels flying over the stadium, or the F- F-14s, or when the Jets came over. That was when it became real to me that, oh, my God, I'm calling WrestleMania. And I had to actually choke back my emotions for a second because it had been such a long journey to get there from being in the ring to learning to be a commentator to cutting my teeth in NXT to making it to Monday Night Raw to make it to WrestleMania in any capacity was a thrill to me. But to be there and it became very, very special and real in that moment when the Jets flew over and I went, oh, my God, this is WrestleMania. On that note, by the way. The WrestleMania in Tampa, 25,000 fans or so. Remember, yes. the, the fans were in pods. That for me was an emotional moment. Yes. You know, Mr. McMahon was out there speaking to the WWE universe. It was the first time we had fans back in, in any capacity post-COVID or transitioning out of COVID. And when the Jets flew over, America the Beautiful, there was a spine-tingling, beautiful moment. Where oh, buddy. Like, how, how important are human beings in our lives? And to see the WWE Universe back in that special moment, that was, that was outstanding. I'd say everybody on that stage had very, very strong jaws in that moment because we were all choking back the tears, man. That was an emotional moment. I'll never forget that. Love this question. From Vegan Yoga One. What a, what a handle that is. What's your typical post-show meal after calling Raw or SmackDown? 
Whiskey. I was going to say either whiskey or malted hops and barley. Uh, I mean, it's definitely, I usually drink my post-show meal after Friday night Smackdown. I'm a cheeseburger guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not like this overgrown child who only eats chicken fingers like Dominic Mysterio or any, or Sam Roberts or any of those weirdos that we cohabitate with. Uh, but it's, you can't go wrong with a cheeseburger. And when you're usually eating in a hotel, uh, stick with something simple. I always find that a, a turkey club or a cheeseburger is hard to screw up. No matter what hotel you're staying at, if it's a five-star, if it's kind of a dumpy place, a cheeseburger is a cheeseburger. It's like pizza. Even when it's bad, is it really ever bad? I'll tell you about Old Gravy, folks. He's the type of fella, you go back to the hotel and you go, we have one. And he's like, ah, ah, flight's at six. Yeah, look, I'll do one. Gravy sits down. Three and a half later is a, you know, hours later, we're debating wrestling theory. And, and, And like four or five other people are involved and we're there till three in the morning. I have no self-control, KP. (laughs) (laughs) At Steve Grand 24 says, Monday night, Aaron Rodgers' season came to an end after tearing his Achilles four plays into the season. Can you share the most heartbreaking sports moment you've ever seen and the most heartbreaking WWE match where someone who got so close lost? Which one do you want to talk about? This is tough for me. I'm not even a Jets fan. I'm not even a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. I respect the guy. He's one of the greatest of all time. But I, I saw that unfold. And again, I'm in New York City still. So Tuesday morning when I was driving to the studio to, to work on my project, I was able to listen to local New York City sports talk radio. And this city is mourning, man. I don't know that I've ever experienced sadness in the same way that the whole city is feeling right now uh, about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Obviously, there are some heartbreaking moments in the, the business that, that we live in. More often than not, they are by design. They are sort of be, to be expected. They're more on the emotional pain rather than the physical aspect of it. I think I didn't feel it at the time, but I would have to compare it in its closest form to WrestleMania of this past year. We had 80,000 broken hearts surrounding us in SoFi Stadium when Cody didn't beat Roman Reigns. And at least in recent times, I'm sure when I was a kid, there were things that really upset me. But off the top of my head, that reaction is similar into where Twitter caught fire. The WWE Universe was irate. They were disconsolate. How could this happen? Are you kidding me? Cody's supposed to be our guy. Cody's supposed to lead us into the next year. He's our savior. He's our hero. And he didn't do it oh my god what do we do just like the new york jets were going that's it the playoff drought's over we're going to las vegas we're going to the big game we're going to win it all hall of famer and he was on the field for four plays i mean i'd say at least cody was tougher than rogers in that instance but (laughs) i mean that's about the closest thing i could draw the comparison to because take the story and the emotion and the the storytelling aspect of wwe out of the equation if you want to talk about a great deal of people just feeling really bad the next day. That's the closest thing I could think of. What about Pittsburgh? You got no finals to talk about? No heartbreak to I, talk I, about? I, I, yeah, it's 1992 uh, NLCS. Sid Bream and the Atlanta Braves ruined my entire childhood and the Pirates still haven't recovered. But that's neither here nor there. That's personal heartbreak. At WWE Wrestling Fan 05 says, you both always speak so highly of Michael Cole and what he's done for your careers. Any piece of Michael Cole wisdom he shared with you that you could share with the ATB listeners? Oh my goodness. I'd have to ask you this same question because you've got to spend a lot of time with him more recently. I mean, let's be honest. Cole's our boss, but he's also one of our best friends. Uh, he would hate the fact that we're even discussing him and what a good guy he is because he 
hates the spotlight. He, he, he does you not even get a photo with us. No, he he is absolutely the antithesis of what <laughs> what someone in that position you would assume would be. Uh, Cole just wants to show up, do his work, and head back home, be with his family. But I, I would need an hour to even hit the tip of the iceberg of what I've learned from Michael Cole. I mean, let's be perfectly honest without that man single-handedly, I would not be in the position I'm in today because it was in new Orleans after WrestleMania 30, after I just suffered my final concussion, I didn't know it at the time, but it was Michael Cole who suggested I give this commentary thing a shot. And little did I know that all these years down the line, I would be sitting where I'm sitting and you KP would be sitting where you're sitting. And I owe Michael Cole an endless amount of credit and uh, I'm sure one of these days I'll, I'll get a few whiskeys in him and I'll get to tell him this face to face. But until then, I'm going to just I'm going to sit with this for a little while. So did you have an interesting commentary or did Cole see something in you? Cole saw it. I never, wow. never asked, never suggested it, never really thought twice about it. But Cole was the one that went, hey, you're having some bad luck in the ring. Do you ever think about this? And I at the time I went, eh, yeah, cool. Maybe I'll give it a shot someday. And then about four or five months later, I was in the booth learning. So. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Because you grew up idolizing Bobby Heenan, right? Sure. Absolutely did. That's incredible. That's really, yeah, really I never, never thought about it. But, but here we are. For me with Cole, it's constant. I mean, the advice and the, the knowledge and the learning tree and sitting under, it's just constant with him. I don't know if there's one specific piece of advice. Um, you know, he, he often talks about peeling back the onion and the layers and the stories within WWE. And that's something that he, he's, he's more than capable of finding the depth to every story. And then in, in five seconds in this scenario of commentary, which I absolutely struggle with today. And I hope to get a lot better is being able to tell a story in five seconds. He always talks about it. When he said this to me at the start, he said, you can tell a story in five seconds. I'm like, how that, that sounds impossible. And when you're under that much pressure and key moments, he just, he floats through and meanders through those murky waters so seamlessly. And it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, I, I've said this to you many times. You've heard me say this so many times, but I'll say it on, on ATB that there's a, a famous old soccer player by the name of Johan Cruyff, one of the greatest of all time. And he said that, you know, football is a simple game, but the hardest thing to do is play simple. Yeah. Commentary in WWE, Cole makes it seem simple when it's <laughs> No doubt about it. If I had to put my finger on something as I was listening to you explain because of all the tidbits, I guess to more directly answer the question that was asked, Michael Cole was the one that instilled in me that you should never refer to anybody backstage to anything other than what you refer to them on screen as. Because a lot of us have grown up in this business and I'm, you've seen five different people call me five different things because it depends on the era of my career when we became friends. Some people call me by my legal name. Some people call me Gravy. Some people call me Corey. Some people call me Sterling. It really all depends. And I'm not unique in that sense. However, as a commentator, you have to make sure you're calling them by the right name all the time at the right time because I've been caught a few times in the past, let's be honest. But uh, that that practice is something that Cole drilled into my head. I know you call him X. However, on TV, he is Seth. He is always Seth. He is only Seth. He is not what, you know what I mean? And across the board. So that's definitely something. Hopefully that answered your question a little bit better. At Grace Peach One says, which current WWE superstar would you want to see in a lead role in an upcoming Marvel or DC superhero movie? Whew. That's actually, I was going to say it's a tough one because it could go many different ways, but I'm going to have to actually answer maybe a little differently than anybody expected. 
Unfortunately, it's a bit late and impossible to do this now. But tell me The Fiend wouldn't have made the greatest horror movie villain, the demon conjured up by Hydra to take down the Avengers. I mean, you could have plugged The Fiend in there right then and there with Bray, with the depth of that character. Bray would have been that guy. I'm sure there are plenty of other answers that aren't incorrect, but when you hear, who would you like to make a movie about? That's all I hear. And that's something that I, it was so special again. And not to make this dark. I, I want this to be light. I want this to be happy. I want people to realize that this, this creation of Wyndham Rotunda will live on. And it probably could have and would have lived on in even more grandiose fashion had, had the universe not come calling. Um, I think that would, have been, that would have been the movie to make. Beautiful. That's a great way to end. It really is. That's a great, great shout. I think lots of people will be thinking about maybe Gunther as a villain. Um, you could certainly see Kaiser. Kaiser would be a great Kaiser. Kaiser. Great villain, yeah. yeah. I'd like to see an on-screen Nick Fury, uh, Samuel L. Jackson with Ludwig Kaiser. That'd be an interaction for the ages right there. Give it an Oscar. What about Chad Gable, huh? What about Chad Gable? Do you think Chad Gable's more of a DC or a Marvel guy? Marvel. You think he's a Marvel guy? Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah, I think we put it to him. I think we should ask him when we invite him in uh, right now to After the Bell, the man who just pushed Gunther to the absolute limits and beyond in an Intercontinental Championship classic. He is the master of Alpha Academy. He is Chad Gable. So, Chad, we've got the mailbag going here again on After the Bell. And there was a brilliant question that came in about which superstar would you want to see in a DC or Marvel movie? Which one would you like to be in? Ooh, I would go. I'm a huge Batman guy, so I'd want to be DC. DC, hundred percent. Yep. <laughs> Put me down for DC. Congratulations on the big win over Imperium this past Monday night on Raw. But I want to take it back two weeks. You knew this is where we were going to go. This is what has the entire WWE universe still buzzing. Your Intercontinental Championship match with Gunther. Talk to me about that day, the moments leading up to that match. Did the magnitude of the night weigh on you at all, or was it just business as usual as far as you were concerned? No, it kind of slowly built. You know, it, you'd like to go into it thinking, oh, we're just going to treat this like any other match. And we used to say that, I used to say that in amateur wrestling a lot, but it was more of just like a phrase people say is like, we get to these big tournaments or, uh, you know, try to qualify for a world or Olympic team. And you're like, I'm just going to treat it like any other match. You know, I'm just going to go into it like, but really, you never really do that because it weighs on you in a different way, whether you want it to or not. Um, you might approach it similar, like preparation wise and your routine wise and everything might be similar. But I mean, your mind can't possibly just look at it like a normal match. Because for me, this is I mean, let's face it, it's the biggest singles opportunity I've ever had on the main roster or in, in, in WWE overall. So uh, it, it built and built. And then, um, you know, I was lucky enough to bring my family along with me, which was cool that weekend. It was like the last weekend before school started. So we were just like on a whim. Why not? Nice. It's the last cool thing we'll be able to do for the summer. And so that helped actually kind of keep me, uh, in a normal routine, relaxed a little bit at the hotel, just hanging out at the pool and stuff. Also going a little crazy with three kids trapped in one hotel room. But um, it was nice. It helped level me out a little bit for, during the week. So The match itself, wow. Everybody just blown away by what we witnessed. Did you know 
in the moment that this was a classic that we were all taking in? <laughs> I had high expectations. Let's put it that way. I had very high expectations, uh, and I feel like we exceeded those to a degree that I did not expect. Uh, so I place um, a lot of importance on my own performance when it comes to big moments like that because you don't get them often. And uh, you blow it, you might not ever get it again because all eyes are watching and they're going to say, finally gets this opportunity. Is he going to be ready? Is he going to deliver? So you better freaking deliver. Uh, I was going into it with the mindset that we're going to. And he's like, Gunther is a perfect opponent for me in a sense that it's always like the, the size difference is there. That's the obvious one. But I think there's a level of like professional comp- competition between me and him where I do respect him as a competitor, but he's the type of guy that's like set this bar so high, but I'm almost envious of that in a way to where like I should have been the one or I can be the one to do that as well, but you're going to be the one that gets all the credit. So I'm going to step up and try to make it my turn. And he's also a champion that carries himself in, in a very distinguished way. So it makes me step my game up at the same time. And I think when you have that kind of like professional competition, man, that's what, what creates moments like that. It's such a unique perspective to hear from a challenger who is beloved by the WWE universe to really give credit to Gunther as a performer, as opposed to just going, Oh, we have to take this title off of him. Like the, you, you yeah. have a bit of reverence. Like you understand the, the aura that is Gunther. When he got to the ring, was did something change inside of you or was this all something you were prepared for? A couple of things went through my mind when he got to the ring because uh, he does have an imposing kind of disposition, right? So like when he right. gets in there, you could either be the guy that looks away and goes and does just walk around back and forth or you can stand your ground and look him right in the eye. And at that moment that night, I was like, this is the time. Don't be moving your feet like you used to do in amateur wrestling. Don't be warming up. Stand there, look him dead in the eye. Don't move a muscle and let him know that you're here to take it. And let the people know too, because the people sniff that out as well. They'll see, you know, there's little mannerisms and things. You can tell when people are nervous or jittery or if they're confident and they're ready to roll. So it was like, for me that night, it, it just clicked. It's like, don't move a muscle. Just stand there. Let them know you're here. Let them know you're ready to go to war, basically. Standing in front of the ring general eye to eye, Corey Graves said on last week's show that Gunther is the best professional wrestler walking God's green earth today. What's your reaction to that? I'd have a hard time arguing that, uh, although I am chasing him, trying to take that, uh, that moniker, that title from him. But at the same time, you know, he's doing it in a way that we don't see anymore very often, you know, and, and I know a lot of people probably reference this about him, but he's got the old school style, but he does it with such confidence and such poise that it almost makes you mad. It's like, man, he, he just like, he makes it look so easy to be so mean, powerful, smooth, crisp, and ugly at the same time. It's yes. hard to describe to yes. where like, man, everything is punchy and powerful and but it looks great. It's great, beautiful wrestling, but at the same time, it's gritty and ugly. And that's what I love because man, every time we get in there, I'm in the middle of some sequence with him and we're throwing down and we're just like beating the hell out of each other. It looks great, man. I can see why people like watching his style of wrestling. You know, it grabs you in a way that like, we just don't see that often anymore. So unfortunately you weren't able to become intercontinental champion two weeks ago. Talk to me about 
the journey up to this point. You're a guy who's tasted success in WWE. We had you and Otis on a few weeks back. You guys have had a lot of tag team success. You yourself have done a whole bunch of great things in WWE. Outside of WWE, you are a textbook overachiever. You're a United <laughs> States Olympian. You, you're the, the valedictorian of your class. You're a father. You're a husband. You are a dude who just does life at a higher level than most of us. <laughs> However, that single success thus far in WWE has eluded you. What did this encounter with Gunther do for you? Did it, did it solidify your drive? Did it make you want it more? Did it make you realize, oh, maybe this isn't the realm I belong in? What was your instant reaction out of that? I truly feel at this point that I'm ready for this. Like as a singles guy, I'm done with like just being labeled the tag team guy. I, 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 there's something in me that has clicked now. I'm ready. And I'm confidently telling you that. So like, here we are now for a singles title. And I going into this match, remembering I put this on myself. Like I'm the one that, that gave them my word that said, I'm ready. So you better freaking deliver. And, uh, if you don't, they have no reason to believe you in the future. They have no reason to read your pitches anymore. They have no reason to say, Oh, he's got some good ideas. Let's give him a chance. That's on you. So going into it, one of my biggest motivating factors was that and coming out of it was full, like, gratification like um it just hammered home the idea and the the knowledge in my head that like i was right i knew it because we got the response we did from not only the audience the wwe universe but like everyone in the back man i can't tell you the the compliments and the just like very genuine congratulations from everybody that i got and how happy they were for me and for a guy like me that like prides himself on, like, as you said, work ethic and just kind of like slowly achieving goal after goal um, to get that kind of feedback from my peers is to me the most important thing in the world. To know that my peers appreciate it um, and, and see the journey is, is just the world to me. So the night that, you know, you got beaten by the ring general, your most devastating loss in a way felt like a win for you when you walked back through that curtain. Hundred percent. Yeah, I uh, like had the longest talk I think I may have ever had with Hunter that night, and he just explained to me over and over that we found this character, this kind of like underdog babyface, and that term gets thrown around a lot. But I feel like I've gone through enough changes in character and tried enough things that this is who I am, and not simply because of the size, but just because that's kind of what the, my whole life's been like. And a lot of people, you know, get certain places in a number of ways, but for me, it's always had to be, you know, a fight from the bottom, working your way up. I am lucky to be like physically talented for certain, to a certain degree, but not to the degree that like, I can just let hard work and all that crap fall at the wayside and just rely on my talent. It's never been that way. Not in amateur wrestling, not in anything I've done, not in school. Um, the, the hardest worker in the room kind of element has always had to be a part of my my whole life or else nothing was going to work out for me. And the, that's the same case here. Is it a little funny to you objectively to know that as a United States Olympian, literally one of the best wrestlers on God's green earth, you're still <laughs> viewed as an underdog at times. <laughs> it's, it, it kind of puts into perspective, like the place we work, man, it's so interesting. You, you have to kind of come to terms with certain things, you know, like it, it I think maybe a lot of guys might struggle with that. It could be a problem for people coming in and um, placing themselves in their own head at a certain level and not having the kind of humility to 
take a step back and like, look at what we do here, you know, cause a lot of times that gets lost on people and athletic backgrounds could do that to you. And I think visually is probably the biggest reason that that is the case. The stare off I was watching on Monday and you and Gunther sure. are standing face to face yeah. and he looks like a genuine movie villain, like a monster <laughs> of a human being. And yeah. it's like, Oh, of course you're naturally going to be the underdog despite your ridiculous technical right. skills. Right. Was there, was there anything or has there been anything over the past several weeks on this run that you've learned or you've identified as, okay, we got here. Now this is what I need to fix. Or now that is what I need to improve on. Or, or this is the next step. Yeah. I think a huge thing Hunter talked to me about this as well. And, um, I had to shift my mindset working as a heel for so long, um, got me in a certain mode, you know, and like, uh, a certain type of wrestling. And now as this underdog baby face, I've just learned to do less, like just to get sympathy, you just do less. And the people don't want to see an underdog baby face hitting 10,000 pretty moves and hitting 10,000 fancy dives and flips and suplexes all the time. So you'll notice, I think over the last couple of months, as I've transitioned into this, it's just like doing a lot less, but doing it in very specific spots, you know? That's that's where the art of all this comes into play. The art, it's man. You can, hand art. A, you can hand a chimpanzee a paintbrush and he'll paint you something. Yes. But it's when and where and why. That's the yeah. art of this business. I, I love man, that so much. I've gone back from a few of these matches with Gunther and like I went to art school. So when you talked about my degree, like it's, <laughs> it's all art and it's like it's so subjective, you know, so like. But you know, when you did something right and when you, it came from the right place, you know it because you feel it and people feel it. And it's the same with these matches. Like you'll get done. I'll get done with certain matches that like months ago we'll talk about. And yeah, you kind of did your thing and you, you, you got through it and you, you put on your performance. But when I do these matches with Gunther, the style he wrestles and the style that that also forces me to wrestle. And it's similar when I work with a guy like Randy or, or guys at that level, you know, where it's all feel. It's just feeling it. And, and then I've allowed myself to kind of dial back the desire to just do as much crap as I can and get and show everybody what I can do. That's not it. They want to get with you. They want to be on your side and they want to feel it and be in the match with you. And then you get done with that. And when it happens, it is a piece of art. You walk back going, man, I feel like a freaking painted a masterpiece out there. You know what I mean? I just got back and hang it up, man. Hang it up in the, <laughs> in the museum somewhere because it just feels so good. There's nothing more satisfying than that. I love that. I love that Mark Henry, um, what he said about this match speaks to what you were just speaking about there. I don't know if you heard what Mark Henry had to say. Did you, Gail? Yeah, my wife actually read it to me or told it to me a few days ago. Yeah. Incredible. He talked about how he was crying and he said, I started crying too because <laughs> I realized that pro wrestling, when done right, can emotionally affect you. And, and that really did hit home for you too, Gravy. I, I want to double down on Mark's observation because I felt the exact same way. And I mean, full disclosure, I texted you the next morning. I, I yeah. didn't text you that night because I knew you, were be, you would yeah, be getting yeah. all the accolades <laughs> you so deserved. Uh, but it was, it was, it was magic. And in this day and age with as much wrestling and content as WWE produces, as many matches as we call as, as just sometimes ad nauseum, there've probably been amazing matches that I haven't even sure. fully appreciated because it's just the, Oh, we just saw this. Oh, we just did this. So to be a fan seated on my own couch in my home next to my wife and watch <laughs> that and feel the emotions from both you and Gunther, it was a masterpiece. You, I'm sure you've heard this enough, but you absolutely yeah. deserve the accolades because I can say personally, 
it has been a long time since I felt emotionally wow. about a match like I did on Monday. Because it was old school, yeah. man. It was. I mean, athleticism, you guys took it to the next level. You took the old school mentality, the old story, and you just put a brand new coat of paint on it. And it was now the world appreciates it again. But the art was still the art. It was beautiful in its simplicity, in the story, in the emotion, your family outside <laughs> of the ring. I, I said it was it was like Rocky and Drago, man. Yeah, it really. And we were on that same journey. Why do you love Rocky? Because you feel it. You're in there with him. You're taking the punches. You're you're firing up for him. And that's what played out in real time in live action in front of us, man. It was, it was magical. So funny you say that. Cause believe it or not, my wife has never seen like the Rocky series. Right. So the week leading up to that, we watched Rocky four just cause it's like, I, I mean, I love every Rocky movie, but I was like, let's watch Rocky four. Cause that's, we're kind of headed that direction. And uh, you know, she loved it and she was just like blown away by it. And then what you touched on about what Mark said, and I think what, it kind of hit home for everybody here was that what made it real was the emotion. It just happened that my family was there, right? It wasn't like I said, Oh, let's try to get you guys front row and like make this a big deal. It was the last week before school. So I said, let's take them with, let's give them one last fun thing for the summer. They happen to get, I don't request front front row tickets. Everything. I just get comps. They happen really? to sit there. They happen to get placed there. So this wasn't a company decision no, 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 to bring no, your family in for the championship. No, they didn't even know. They didn't even know they were coming, wow. man. So like they had no idea. <laughs> um, so then they found out about it. Then they wanted to, you know, kind of say, let's take advantage of this a little bit and film you during the day with your family a little bit. They showed us showing up. But I mean, none of that was like privy to them like earlier in the week, anything. So like, and I really wasn't even aware where they were sitting until like minutes before my wife had sent me a picture. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll go see my little dude up front because he's wearing the, mostly to get his singlet on TV because now he makes me make a <laughs> freaking singlet every time I get one made. Um, but then, you know, you, you can't really even, even if you wanted to try to force some kind of emotion like that out of a kid, that, that stuff's real. So like, my oldest daughter is by far my most emotional, right? Like they all have different personalities, but she's the one that the world saw crying that night because she, and she knows the deal. Like I've spoken to her about what daddy does and how it works, all this stuff. She knows, but even that doesn't matter. Like when you get there and your kid's sitting in front of you watching their dad get beat up, it, it's going to draw it out of them. It, when, when she's emotional like that, my Middle daughter, forget it. She could care less. <laughs> yeah, I think she was looking down to see how many chips and cheese she had left in her nachos. But uh, and the dude's enthralled with it too. But in the emotion from my older daughter is like, I think, touches on something that we just like you guys said we don't get often anymore, and that's what Mark is talking about. So when it happens, you know, it, it naturally and organically, it just means so much more because we get stuff a lot of times where there's people in the crowd that we cut to or wherever we, we use audience members or family members in a way that like is we, you know, we meant for it. We were making it a part of the show. This was not planned. None of it was meant to be a part of anything. And that's what made it organic and like really, really got everybody, I think. That's absolutely wild. Yeah. It was like watching a movie unfold. Yeah. It was live action. But seriously, but that's the emotion. Why do we watch movies, right? To forget about life. You know the dinosaur is not real. Yeah. But you are still <laughs> invested in the guy running away from the dinosaur because like that's that's great cinema. That's great entertainment. And, and that's exactly what you guys provided for us. But while you're talking about your daughters, I have to ask. Yeah. 
because you made the declaration after failing to become intercontinental champion yeah. that your daughter was going to leave next time with a <laughs> smile on her face. And you used the phrase and I, I, you swear to God, you were going to be the one to take Gunther's intercontinental championship. I, full credit to, to the first person I saw that raised this point on social media was bully Ray uh-huh. on his show. Sure. And bully said, as a quote unquote good guy yep. in this business, when you say those words, when you make that promise, if you don't deliver, you might be signing a death warrant, man. You might be you might be committing a career catastrophe because people know. Look, and let's be honest: the people are on your side; they're behind you right now. You're you are as red hot right now, Chad Gable, as you have been <laughs> since you've entered the, the halls of WWE in any capacity. I'm not saying I don't believe it. But I'm, I'm asking you if you realize the magnitude of yeah. the promise you made to be the guy to knock off the ring general. So I was taught that lesson, the, the thing you mentioned about Bully Ray, uh, very early on in NXT in WWE by one of the, my mentors there. And uh, they said, like, basically what he said, as a babyface, don't ever make a promise to the audience that you're not going to keep. If you don't deliver on that, you've lost all credibility. And before I said any of that, that all ran through my head and I knew it. But the events leading up to this had just, like I said, reaffirmed my confidence in myself, my belief in myself to a degree that like I felt comfortable saying that and knowing that I'm going to deliver on it because we take a look at the match from two weeks ago, right? Or last week going into that match, I guarantee you, I promise you, nobody Everybody maybe was on my side. Maybe they were cheering for me. Maybe they were, go Gable, you can get him. Did anybody really think going into it that I was going to take him off the throne that night? I don't think so. For my money, no. But by the end of that match, 100%, I promise you, we eliminated all that doubt in people's mind. We thought we gave everybody hope for a second that like, he might be the guy. He might be able to do this. He might... Oh my gosh. And every little inch closer we got, they kept going. It might happen tonight. I didn't think it was going to, but it might happen. And they're getting a little closer and we got this close. Uh, And for a guy like me to get that close and get the people to believe, I can't just leave it at that. And, And I walked out of there that night going, that can't be the end. And so to say, I swear to God, and to me, trust me, I don't take that lightly. Sure. I was said it very deliberately, very intently. And now I've again placed the onus on myself to do this because whether or not, you know, the company or whoever intends on giving me another championship match, I will find the way to earn it. Uh, I will force my way into whatever doors I need to get into to deliver on that promise because I'm not a guy also that, um, you know, uses words lightly. I deliver on the things I say I'm going to do. And I don't do it often where I tell people, this is what I'm going to do. But every time I do, it's happened and I've delivered and this will be no different. But you emptied the tank. You gave us everything. You threw it all out there for your family in the WWE universe and you still came up short, Chad. What makes you think you can take down the ring general Gunther? Gunther is as polished of an athlete as I've ever stepped in the ring with, but I've also been in enough competition and enough, you know, athletic environments in my life to see what happens when guys get to a certain achievement and then they kind of sit back 
And I'm going to see that with him. You saw him loud and proud on Monday night, walking in with his suit in his fancy car. It's a different kind of Gunther than we've seen before, right? He's very, very chuffed with himself, very happy, very, uh, and I think that's a little chink in his armor for me. You know, I saw that. I saw the look also when he was walking to the back and he looked back at me like, who the hell is that? You know, where did that come from? There's these little pieces that I can see kind of, you know, like I said, just chipping away chipping away at his armor. And I want him to keep feeling as confident as he is. I want him to keep taking those steps and trying to dress all fancy and looking like a superstar now, because I've seen guys do this before. They start changing what they did to get them to the place that they got and it all falls apart. So I'm going to take advantage of it. You still have that nose to the grindstone mentality. That's all I ever have. Even when I try to dial it back or stop or say, I got to chill out a little bit and take it easy and, and switch my style and stop working so hard. I just can't. It's in me, um, sometimes to my own detriment, <laughs> but uh, it's in me and it ain't leaving. Gravy, sign me up. Well, we don't sign me up. Yeah, Hey, no doubt. I was going to say, we're not looking forward to uh, seeing it leave or go anywhere else. I love watching it. Congratulations again to you. Man to man peer-to-peer as a guy who watched you train in the Performance Center and to see what you've evolved into through your hard work, through your work ethic, and and how much you care and the passion you have for this. It goes a long way. Everybody's noticing. Congratulations. It's about damn time. Uh, (laughs) And and we'll be cheering you on in the future, even if it is against my favorite, my guy, the Ring General. I I mean, I always had that soft spot. Hey, I get it. I get it. Trust me. Thank you, guys. Of course, man. Where can uh, the WWE fans find you on social media? We got WWE Gable on Twitter and Instagram. And I think we maybe touched on this last time, but me and Otis, we got the Twitch thing going. We've been... Uh, pretty consistent with that. People are showing up, hanging out. We're we're a couple of big sweaty men in the in the shack out there every week, just chit chatting, lifting some lifting some weights, and uh, talking with the people, man. How does the ATB faithful find that? So you would go to Twitch.tv/slash The Alpha Academy, sign up, subscribe, or just follow whatever you want. We're not like begging people to subscribe. We're just there to hang out and and chill. It's been really great. Everybody shows up every week and get a thousand questions and we try to answer them all. It's, it's really fun, man. You realize how passionate everybody is and, and people just want to hang out and be cool. It's, it's been great. Oh, that's awesome. I might have to get myself a Twitch account, sign up, come hang in the shack for the carnage. (laughs) In the meantime, make sure you're following us at after the bell, WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE graves. You can find KP at Kev underscore Egan. That's E-G-A-N. Listen for F-R-E-E wherever you get your podcast. Just search After the Bell. Hit the follow button and never miss an episode. And of course, that includes the official WWE YouTube channel where full episodes are available each and every Monday. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. Mr. Gable, care to take us home? Thank you!